All right, good morning. Good morning. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our series to the married and unmarried. This is now part four. And I actually wanted to start off my sermon this morning with some quotes from a man named Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is a clinical psychologist. He was, uh, he's a, he was a professor at the University of Toronto, and he is, he's not a follower of Jesus, so I'm not quoting him as a Christian. I've watched uh, videos where he talks about the Bible and where he talks about the resurrection of Jesus, and I mean, unless he became a Christian really recently, um, he's not a follower of Jesus, but he said some really interesting things in this clip that I came across this week. Um, the clip that I saw, he's on a stage, and there's an interviewer asking him questions, and then there's hundreds of people listening to him answer these questions. And the interview interviewer must have asked him something about bravery or truth-telling because the, the clip starts with him just talking about that as if that was the question he just got answered. And it's really interesting. So I want to read to you just some excerpts of what he said. So he says, I decided a long time ago, partly from reading Solzhenitsyn, that I was going to try to be very careful with my words. Solzhenitsyn is a Russian author. Um, and was only going to say things that I thought, well, to begin with, weren't lies, let's say. I was going to try to formulate my thoughts truthfully. And the reason I decided that was because I thought that the opposite was hellishly dangerous. I really believe that. I truly believe that. If I say things and I think they're true and they get me in trouble, then I think that's not as much trouble as I would have gotten into if I had said something that wasn't true. Later on, he says, okay, so I come to an event like this and I have an opportunity to say things. And I don't come in here and think, okay, here's a bunch of things I want to convince you of. I don't care if you're convinced. It's not like I don't care about you in the sense that you care for people and hope the best for them, but I don't care if you're convinced. That's not what I'm here for. What I'm here for is to hear the questions and try to figure out what I think about them and then to say that and then to see what happens. So he goes on to say, if the world is properly constituted through truth, then faith is the willingness to have faith in truth. And so then you say what you believe to be true. And then some things happen. Sometimes they are not so good, which is why people often lie. You know, you tell the truth and you get in trouble for it. And then he goes on to say, lying is not a good long-term strategy. And then he says this, he says, you say what you believe to be the truth. And then you have the faith that no matter what happens, if you've said what you believe to be truth, whatever happens is the best thing that could have happened. And I believe that. I think that's how the world's constituted. And so it's not bravery exactly. I would say it's more like faith. And I thought that was very interesting. Um, and I, I agree with him that truth-telling is an act of faith. And I think people should be truth-tellers rather than lie-tellers. And I agree that the decision to do that must not be based on the immediate outcome, right? It has to be based on the long-term way of how things are supposed to be. But I believe all of that because I believe in the God of the Bible. And if there is a God who governs over this world and the next, then we should follow his will and speak truth. But if there's not, if there's not a God that governs over this world, I'm not sure why we would need to be committed to the truth. It seems to me some lies are, are useful for survival. And, and if this world is all there is, then it seems like we should use lies to live as happily and as long as we can. Now, you may say, whoa, I thought this was a sermon about marriage. Like, why are you bringing all this up? Oh, that's a good question. Because the passage that I'm going to teach you today, okay, is notoriously offensive to people in our culture. 
The passage that I'm going to teach you is notoriously offensive to people in our culture. Now, it does not offend me. It does not offend my wife. It does not offend many of you, because I've had conversations with you. Um, But it is a passage that some people who like the Bible wish were not in the Bible. And so I thought, as I was like thinking about preaching it this week, I thought some of the things that were similar to what Peterson said, when, like when he said, I don't care if I convince you. Um, now, if I'm being literal, like I do care if I convince you, okay? I do care. But I realize I don't have control over whether you are convinced or not. So my primary aim needs to be to tell the truth. Like, to re-say what the Bible says. My primary goal needs to be to re-say what God has said as carefully as I can. And then, after that, whatever happens, happens. You following me? All right, so if you have your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 5. If you have a Bible app, same thing. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read to you verses 18 through 33. Ephesians chapter 5, 18 through 33. Um, Now, as you find these verses or as they come up on the screen, the very first few verses that I read, you might think to yourself, those verses don't seem to be about marriage. And, And if you think that, it's because you're smart. Okay, the first few verses are not about marriage, but they lead into the marriage verses. The married people verses are coming later on, and this is the paragraph before it, and it leads into it. So I think for context's sake, we need to have the paragraph that comes before it. So I'm going to read to you Ephesians 5, starting in verse 18, all the way to verse 33. This is what it says. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit, So Paul is talking to these Christians and he says, don't get drunk with wine. Don't put something in you that influences your behavior, right? In a bad way. Rather, there is something that should be in you that influences your behavior in a good way, right? The Holy Spirit. You should be filled by the Spirit. And then once he says to be filled by the Spirit, it sort of looks like he then gives like three examples of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, right? So we kind of imagine, we know what it looks like to be drunk with wine, but what does it look like if the people are being influenced from the inside out by the Spirit? And so he gives these examples. He says, number one, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. And then he says, number two, giving thanks always for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third thing he says is submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And that last part, this this last little section, okay, be filled by the Spirit. And one of the ways you do that is by submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. I think that little sentence right there becomes, or that portion of a sentence, becomes the topic sentence for all of the verses that come after it. For the next, I don't know, 20 verses or so, the, 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 The emphasis of the verses are about submitting, okay? All different specific relationships that come right after this verse. The thing that comes right after it is um, husbands and wives, then it's children and parents, then it's slaves and masters. Like all of these different submitting things all come after he says submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So it seems like there's the topic and then he goes and starts talking about it specifically. So the very next thing he says after submitting to one another is he starts talking about marriage relationships. So we'll read the very next verse, verse 22. Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word 
He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So of all of the words that I just read, okay, which I just read a whole bunch of words, of all the words that I just read, which are the words that people take issue with? Okay, yes. Submit, wives, submit to your husbands. That's the, that's the portion. In fact, the first service got it right also. I don't think I've ever, I mean, everybody gets it right. Everybody knows, oh yeah, that's the one. Okay, at least Americans. I've never preached in other countries. I don't know what they would say. But we all go, oh yeah, yeah, th- that's the problem verses. It's the wives submit to your husbands. Okay, that's the, that's the thing that is offensive. That's the thing that's controversial. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna put those verses, the verses that say wives are supposed to submit to their husbands is Ephesians 5, 22, 23, and 24. So we're gonna put them right here in the middle. Okay, so this is our offensive passage we got. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, husbands head of the wife, Christ is the head of the church, right? As the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. So we're gonna, we're gonna teach that. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to add to it um, above it, we're going to put the verse that comes just before it, okay? So, we're gonna, so this is the verse that comes just before it. Then we have this verse. And then below it, we're going to put the verse that happens right after it, okay? So we're going to learn, we're going to learn our controversial passage and the verse above it and below it. All right, so if I had three points this morning, which I guess I do, these are my three points. So we're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about this, then we're going to talk about this, right? We got a little, a little Bible sandwich here, right? We, a, little, a little offense sandwich, right? Because so here's the nice little toast, and then we've got the offensive part, and then mm, nice little bread here. So here's our offense sandwich, and I'm going to go through it one piece at a time, okay? So let's start with the first piece, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. What does that mean? This particular verse where Christians are committed to submit to one another is a verse that like, when people talk about this and commentators talk about this, it's, this is the place in the Bible or one of the places in the Bible where it teaches a concept called mutual submission, Mutual submission is like I submit to you, you submit to me, right? The different people are all submitting to one another. That's what this passage teaches, mutual submission. It's for all Christians, right? That's what the one another is. If you remember the words that came before it, it was saying um, that it be filled with the Spirit, and then it gave all of these examples. So if you are someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're filled with the Spirit, he's saying this is what you are to do. You're supposed to be submitting to one another, all of the other people who are filled with the Spirit, right? All of the other Christians. So it's interesting because the word submit is in this verse, but it's not offensive here, right? Like at this point, everyone, ah, and then you get here, oh, but, but, but the word submit actually comes in verse 21 first, and it's not offensive there, right? It's just, oh yeah, we're all supposed to submit to one another. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean to be submitting to one another in the fear of Christ? So I looked it up. The word submitting, like going back, because this is translated into English from a Greek uh, document. So the Greek word that's translated submitting is a word that essentially means to let someone else outrank you. That's what submit means. If you're going to submit to someone, you are letting someone else outrank you. Um, the old word for it or the old phrase for it was be subject to. Like if you have an older Bible translation, that's how they translate it. They would say, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then the next verse would say, wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. Okay, but the idea of it is to be under, like rather than being over a person, that, that you would be under 
the person, okay? Um, the analogy here, I think, if I were trying to describe it, when we're saying submitting to one another, would be kind of there where you're going, hey, well, you're more important. No, you are. No, you go first. No, you go first. Like you're there standing at the doorway, and it's like, no, you. No, 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 you, right? Or maybe you're there, maybe there's a plate of cookies, right? And you walk up, and you both are reaching for it at the same time, and you go, oh, 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 sorry, no, you. And they go, no, no, you outrank me. You take the cookie. No, no, you are more important than me. You take the cookie. Like that's the attitude of submitting to one another, right? And I don't mean that literally, like that you never get to the cookie. You know, like obviously if there's a big line of people backing up behind the two of them as they keep going, no, you, no, you. And then there's someone in, you know, way back here going like, who allowed two Christians to get up at the front of the line? Like this <laughs> stupid, we're never going to get a cookie as long as they keep saying, no, you, no, you. So I'm not, I mean, I don't mean literal. I just mean the attitude that we would have toward one another is that we would in humility consider the other person more important than ourselves right? That's the concept, okay? Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, I think a lot of people would admit it would be cool to be a part of a community of people that were like that. I mean, again, not, maybe not literally where they take an hour to get the cookie, but I mean, just like this idea that being a part of a group of people where, where the people within the group, instead of grasping for power, are like looking out for each other's good, I think a lot of people would go, wow, it would, it would be cool to be a, a part of a community like that. And that's what the Bible says to do. And then we move to the very next verse. Wives, same word, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And this is where people go, mm, oh, no, I, that, that was really going good for a little bit there. And then no. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to, before I even explain what this means, I want to address an objection that I have heard. I, there are probably multiple objections to this passage, but really I feel like there's just one that I hear over and over and over again. The really big main objection I've heard when people come across this is they say, oh, that's old. Like that's for, that's for way back then, that's not for now. Have you heard this? Yeah, that's to me, that's the number one, number one objection is people come across this passage, they go, oh, I don't like that. That's, but, but, but we don't have to do anything with that. Like you don't have to do that. Wives don't have to submit to their husbands. That's old. That's, that's for back then. That's for, not for now. Mario, this was back during the time period of the Roman Empire. This is 2,000 years ago when the culture was very different than the culture that we're in. It was just, this was, these words were being spoken into like a whole different world, right? This is for way back then. This is not for nowadays. Um, and what I will say to you is, especially when someone says, like, when you come across these verses, what you got to do is you've got to, like, sort of think about the culture they were written in, and then you sort of have to update it and figure out how it applies to our culture, right? When people talk like that, I guess what I want you to know is this. Number one, um, I do think that, that that is a thing, that, that that is a legitimate way of looking at your Bible. There are times when you have to look at Bible verses and, and, and think to yourself, what was this saying to the culture it was written in? And how does that differ with the culture that I'm in now so that I may apply in principle what was true for them back then in their culture in the culture I'm in? Like that is something you do actually legitimately need to do with scripture. Let me give you an example. Um, in the Old Testament, there are multiple prohibitions against dishonest scales, okay? Multiple times the Bible forbids dishonest scales. And that's because it was written to a culture that was an agricultural culture, where people sold things by the pound, okay? I mean, they sold things by like the Omer and the Ephah, but I, I don't know much about that, so I'm just gonna say pounds, all right? They would sell things based on how much it weighed. So you'd get, when they say, when, when God was telling the people no dishonest scales, 
right? You picture like, you know those old scales where you would be able to see this is the th same amount as this thing? So you could, if you're selling someone, say, flour, you could put a 10-pound weight on this side of the scale, and then you fill up the bag of flour until it's the same weight as the 10-pound weight, and that's how you know you're selling someone 10 pounds of flour. And what the Old Testament says over and over again is, don't take an eight-pound weight and label it 10, right, and stick it on this side and pour out the flour and so that you're selling someone eight pounds of flour and they think they're getting 10, right? You're cheating them out of what they're paying for. Like, that's what's being forbidden when the Old Testament says, don't use dishonest scales. So here we are in 2023, how do we apply that to our lives? Well, it's not gonna, for most of us, it's not gonna apply to scales, right? We don't use scales like that anymore, right? Well, most, almost no one in this room sells things by the pound. So what do we do? Do we look at those and go like, well, you know, that, there's no way to apply that anymore because we don't use scales. No, you think, what is the principle behind don't use dishonest scales? And how does that apply to our life now? And the way it might apply to our life now might not be scales. It might be like a computer program that you're using or um, a sneakily worded contract that you're getting someone to sign, right? So you have, do have to think, what did it mean to them? Now, what does it mean to us, right? And you sort of update it for our culture. Does that make sense? That is a thing. I just don't see how that idea fits with this particular verse. Like when you look at this particular verse, I don't see what is the cultural thing or what is the device that we're having to go, well, what's the 2023 version of that? This verse seems to already be written in principle, right? I mean, the only nouns in it are wives and husbands. So I ask myself the question, okay, what is the 2023 version of a husband and a wife? It's, it seems like it's a husband and a wife still, right? The other thing that's a little suspicious to me is when people come along and go, this is for a long time ago, and you go, okay, what about the verse above it? Is that for a long time ago? Oh, well, no, no, that's good. I like that. Okay, what about the verse that comes right after it? Is that for a long time ago? Oh, no, no, that's a good one. That's for nowadays. Really? So, so it's for nowadays, not nowadays, nowadays, that's what it is? Yep, that's what it is. Hmm, that's, it. that's interesting. That's suspiciously interesting, isn't it? And, but it's true. I think people come along and go, oh, this is great. We submit to one another. That's equality. So that's got to be for now. This, ooh, don't like that. So that's not for now. Husbands love your own. Oh, that's good. I love that. Husbands loving wives, just like in the movies. That's nice. We'll do that, right? And so, yeah, so it's no, you know, so it's yes, no, yes. That's good. And, and it looks like you're just picking the one you don't like, right? When, when you're going, this one, no, not this one, this one. I mean, literally, I have never, I've never met a person. I, I have met people who have said, that's for a long time ago, not for now. I've never met a person who says Ephesians 5.22 is for way back then. I've never met a person who applies it to Ephesians 5.25. I've, I've never met a person that says, oh, Ephesians 25. Oh, <laughs> that was a long time ago, back when people like, expected husbands to love their wives. Like, wait, Ephesians 5.25 was way back when God wanted husbands to love their wives. Like that is, <laughs> we, we know we don't want to do that anymore. Ne never heard a person do it with Ephesians 5.25 ever. And so if you get to the point where it seems like you're saying, this is for now, this is not for now, this is now, and it's based on what like matches with our culture or what you like, I guess what I'm telling you is you need to be very careful about that. If this is the word of God. So what does it mean? Here we go. We kind of already know what it means, at least the, the big scary word, because we already covered it in this verse, right? Submitting means you let the person outrank you. That's what we're supposed to do to one another in the fear of Christ. So wives, what are you supposed to do? Let him outrank you. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, 
okay? Now, if we're trying to figure out, well, what, what, what does that look like? I wish there could be more to it to understand what does that mean to let him outrank me? Well, there is another word that comes up in this same chapter that is used as a parallel word to the word submit. He uses the word submit here, and then later on, he rewords the same verse, but he uses a different verb rather than the word submit. Did you catch it on the way in when I read the whole thing? If we can go to verse 33. After he says this whole passage, the last verse is this verse. He says, to sum up, and then he re-says what he's been saying about husbands and wives. But look at how it's phrased this time. He says, so to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to, what's the verb? The wife is to respect her husband. So we can see he earlier used the word submit, then he tells this whole thing, and then he, when he sums it up, he uses a different word instead of the word submit, but it seems to, that he's using these words interchangeably. He's using these words as synonyms. So it's the word respect. Okay, well, what does the word respect mean? Like in the original, like I, I looked that one up too. Like if you go and find out what was the Greek word that gets translated into this English word respect. And it's the Greek word that was most often used um, for the word fear, which makes it way worse. <laughs> because now you're going, wait a minute. So, the, so if we're translating this literally, it's to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself and the wife is to fear her husband. Okay, well, yes, but no, okay. The, the word, the Greek word that is translated into, the, into our word fear um, is a little bit different than our word fear, which is why it's translated into different words depending on the context it's in. The Greek word for fear sometimes meant to be scared of, to be terrified by, okay? And other times it was used to mean to revere, to be respectful toward, okay? To, to act like someone is above you or outranking you, right? And revering them. That was the way that the word was used. Okay, so this verse, you could tell by the, the, the reason why no translation translates it fear here is because that's not what it means. There's no way this verse is saying each of you, the husband's supposed to love the wife and the wife is supposed to be, to be fearful of that, right? He's, he's gonna love you so much, it's scary, right? That's, <laughs> that's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. He's saying he's gonna love you and you're supposed to have this reverence for him. And it's, the, and it's a word that's used earlier in the passage. In fact, can we go back to the offense sandwich real quick? If you remember up here, it said submitting to one another. Now notice, in the what of Christ? In the fear of Christ. It's the same word or a form of the same word. In this case, they chose to translate it fear, but I'm not really sure why because it doesn't mean terrified here either, right? In fact, there are, there are other Bible translations that translate this submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, okay? But it's that same idea. So, we see that wives are supposed to submit or have this respect, this reverence, but either way, it seems to be like, oh, I'm gonna treat the person like they're outranked above me. I'm going to have reverence. Like that's the word that's used, okay? Both, two different words, but they are both sim very similar things. And it's, it all matches with what verse 21 said. There's reverence that we have to Christ, so we submit to one another, and the wives are supposed to um, submit to and revere their husbands. Now, this submission that a wife is to have to her husband, I do not believe is an absolute submission. Okay, the only person that we owe absolute submission to is God. God is the only person that when he speaks, we say, yes, you don't have to like think about it. You don't have to consider whether it's a good idea. You don't have to like, you just, yes, whatever he says, of course I will. But God's the only one that gets that kind of submission. A lesser authorities under God do not get that kind of submission because anytime someone tells us to do something that contradicts what God has said, then it becomes our submission to God to not submit to the person who's under God who tells us to not submit to God. And that would apply more than to just marriage situations. 
So that's not just husbands, that would be mothers, fathers, uh, school teachers, principals, police officers, uh, president, a king, you know, whoever it may be. If there is a person who says, this is what you are to do, you can't go, well, I just have to do it because they're in charge. No, you are, there's a person who's in charge of them and loyalty to him is, is paramount. And that's, I think, implied in this verse. It says that we are supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So obviously you aren't supposed to submit to someone in a way that disregards Christ. You are not supposed to submit to someone in such a way that disobeys Christ. You following me? So the way this would apply to a marriage, let's say, let's say a husband says to his wife, hey, honey, I'm going to need your help with something this weekend. Um, we're going to have to rob a bank. Uh, I, I was looking at the budget and we, we don't have enough. And I don't know. So I was thinking Saturday, like me and you, you, you drive the car, I'll do it. But you know, I just need, I need some help. In that situation, a wife is supposed to say what? No, good. I'm really glad that you were like, you answered so quickly on that. But what is a wife to do? Like in general, what is a wife to do? Well, the wife is to do the same thing that all Christians were told to do in verse 21, right? To be subject to, to consider him above her, okay? Now you might go, well, that's not fair. Why doesn't it tell husbands to submit to their wives? <laughs> this is interesting. It sort of does, do you see it? I mean, first of all, the passage starts off with submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. The beginning before it even got into this was everyone's supposed to submit to everyone. So we already, that already includes all the husbands and all the wives and all the single people in the church, right? Then wives are told the particular way they are to submit. And then husbands are told, and the word is not submit, but look at what it is. It's husbands, what's the word? Love. Husbands, love your wives. And, and it doesn't just end there. It's not just love your wives, figure out like they submit to you and you just love them. No, it's love your wives just as Christ loved the church. It tells the husband exactly how he is supposed to treat his wife. Don't just love her. No, you are to love her just as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? Yeah, he wasn't tyrannical. He wasn't abusive right? Even though he's the head of the church, he certainly wasn't harmful to the church. No, he cared about the church and put the church even above his own life. In fact, it doesn't even say husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church so that you'd figure that out. It specifies a, like a particular thing that he did. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's a reference to his suffering and his dying on the cross. So the command here is for husbands, okay, to value their wives so much that if something bad is going to happen, let it be done to you and not her. That's the verse. If, if, if the, you're in a situation where somebody has to suffer, men, husbands, let it be you and not her. If somebody has to die, let it be you and not her. This is a humble, submissive, sacrificial love that is being called for here. And in fact, I'd like to shed some light on it. I know there's the rest of the passage, but there's really, there's a passage about Jesus Christ's humility and the way that it's affect the way we treat each other um, that's in Philippians that I'd really like to show you because I think there's a passage in Philippians that really helps us 
shed some light on what does it mean as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So if you have like just a regular paper Bible, it's just one page over, okay? Philippians chapter two, starting in verse three, it says this. This is Paul giving instructions to the people. Listen closely. Philippians chapter two, verse three, it says, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Now that's interesting. Isn't that an interesting verse? Paul tells them, the Christians, to consider others more important than yourselves. What does that sound like? Doesn't that sound a lot like submitting to one another in the fear of Christ? It seems like he's saying the same thing he said in Ephesians, just with different words this time. So the people are supposed to do what? They're supposed to consider others as more important than themselves. Verse four, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. No you, no you, right? Why? Now look at this, because Jesus did it is the answer. Verse five, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. So we're trying to figure out how is it that I'm supposed to treat other people better than me? Here's the example that's given. Jesus, verse six, Jesus who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Jesus did what? He did not cling to his rank. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave. That sounds submissive. Taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And I think that understanding of what Jesus has done needs to, be, needs to shed light on what we're talking about in Ephesians 5. So can we have the offense sandwich up one last time? So husbands, what does it mean to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her? I think we see, right? This is a humble, submissive, sacrificial love. So in my opinion, this is what I think is going on here. In my opinion, verse 21 is the general command. It's the general command to all Christians, right? Then after the general command, there are specific commands to subgroups as to how to do this. How do you submit to one another? So there are all these different commands that come after it for the next like 20 verses. And so I guess, and, and so the verses that follow directly after it are the ones that apply to husbands and wives. They, tell, they show husbands and wives how to follow this particular verse. So I guess what I'm trying to say is nobody gets out of submitting, right? Nobody gets out of submitting. But because God designed the two sexes differently, he has them submit to each other in two different ways. They're not the same. Wives are to have a submissive respect or reverence as they follow their husband's lead. Husbands are supposed to have a humble, submissive, sacrificial love, putting her interests above his, even as he leads their home. And if you say, well, this isn't fair in the sense that it's not equal, I will say, okay, I agree with you. It does seem unequal. <laughs> but one way of viewing it is that it is tilted not in favor of the husband. Just think about it. The analogy here is Christ and the church, right? The woman is, the, the woman is supposed to be the church and the, the husband's supposed to be Jesus. Do you remember the story? Who got the better end of that deal? 
Jesus suffered and died for us. And we, the church, are saved. And that's the analogy that's used here. So husbands, you are supposed to be like Jesus to her, giving up your life for her. I don't know why God decided for it to be this way. But if this is God's word, then we'd better man up and be the husbands that God has called us to be. So let me summarize what I think you've heard so far, what I think the passage says. Like, I'm just trying to re-say what the passage says. This is what I think we've learned. Every Christian should submit to other Christians. In marriage, wifely submission looks like a straightforward, he outranks me, respect. The husband's submission is a humble, sacrificial love. And when we, the people of God, do this, we reflect, we mirror the gospel to the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this. We live in a time where um, um, marriage and romantic relationships and everything is just, uh, it's crazier than it used to be. And so I thank you for this. And I pray that you would let us be people who are filled with faith and filled with your spirit and have the courage to do what you've called us to do. Please don't let us be people who come in these doors and gather together and sing songs that we don't mean. I mean, we, we sang earlier, I think there's a lyric in that last song we sang where it says, with my life laid down, I surrender now and I give you everything. Like we said that to you, God. We said, I surrender, I give you everything. Please let us not be people who say, I surrender, I give you everything. And then you say back, okay, well then submit to him. And we go, well, not that. Or you say, love her. Love her even when she's a jerk. Well, no, not that. I guess when I said everything, I meant just quite a few things. I pray that you would let us not be people who declare this worship to you, that I will do whatever you want, God. And then we turn around and go, well, no, not if it's like uncomfortable. I pray you'd help us to be not, not people of hypocrisy, but people of truth, and you'd help us to follow after you. I pray for the marriages in this room, and I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would grant people in this room great joy in their families. And that when we experience that joy, that we would turn around and say, thank you, God, for granting that to us. And we thank you for the gospel. Jesus, we thank you that you came and died on a cross and saved us and showed us your grace so that we could believe in you and be saved. We thank you for your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.